your spirits lifted tonight. Oh, how he has lifted me. And I hope by the end of this message tonight, your heart will be lifted up. You will be more confident in your faith in Yeshua than you've ever been in your life. That is the goal, and I believe it's God's goal tonight. I'm going to pray. Father, help me to be a vessel that you can pour through that I might be able to deliver your word as you've placed it on my heart faithfully. Lord, I depend upon your Holy Spirit. It's your spirit that draws people to yourself. It's not my convincing words, but help me, Lord, to be faithful, to proclaim what you have put in my heart. In Yeshua's name, amen. Just before I get into the word, I want to mention that uh, we'd like to pray for Matt Escobar's father who'd passed away earlier today. And uh, Daniela, who was leading worship, Matt is her husband, and so this is her father-in-law who passed away, and we want to pray for comfort for them. Lord, I just pray right now for Matt and Daniela and the whole family. We thank you, Lord, that his dad came to know you as Lord and Savior just in recent years. We thank you, Lord, that he's entering your eternal presence. Comfort the family, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. I also want to highlight that this, this week we're having these special seminars. We won't usually have two in one week, but because my good friend Jeff Letts, a Jewish believer from England who has a company called Genistar, and his whole work is helping people find financial freedom, he's just going to be in the country this week. And so in order to, to access his great knowledge and wisdom, we thought, well, let's do it, even though we have a seminar also this Friday morning on uh, helping in emergency situations. <clears throat> so it's Wednesday uh, at 6 p.m. here at the pavilion in the lobby on financial freedom, and then on Friday at 9.30 in the morning through to the afternoon. I know it says 150 shekels, and that might scare you off, but it's including all snacks and a meal. So that might actually get you to come. So uh, we hope you will join us. Well, we're in a series, as you probably know if you've been following, uh, concerning faith, the ups and downs of faith. We've called it deconstruction and reconstruction. You know, I just recently, uh, my wife and I recently moved into an apartment in downtown Jerusalem, and we looked down on a construction site. It's a massive project. There will be two buildings going up, one 10 stories, another one over 30 stories, and it's fun to watch this. And what's interesting is that we are in an earthquake zone, so you wonder about these towers that are being built. Well, there are modern technologies today to help build solid skyscrapers, and one is called base isolation. It involves lifting the foundation of the building above the ground and using flexible pads made from rubber or lead or steel to isolate the base. And when the earth shakes, this flexible foundation absorbs seismic waves. Well, in this series, we're looking at Bible characters who thought they were on a solid foundation of faith, but it got shaken. And they had to do a lot of thinking through their true faith in the true God, and not a God of fantasy, not an Instagram God, but the real God, as he revealed himself to them. One of the reasons why we've been doing this series is because many people, many Christians, are going through a period of deconstruction of their faith. It's become a buzzword, and you find it all over social media and on YouTube videos. 
It's not a new phenomenon. As I said, these biblical characters went through deconstruction and some reconstruction as well. Let's face it, it's possible to think that you have a real relationship with God, but you're actually following some kind of fiction rather than fact. Many of us who profess faith in Yeshua have our own versions of God, and we're pursuing a life according to the God that we hope is the real God. And it can, we're looking for a God who affirms the things we like and the kind of lifestyle we want to have. But unless we have faith in the one true God, we will eventually fall apart when the shaking comes. This evening, we're going to look at Simon Peter. If there was ever a character in the Bible who went on a roller coaster ride in his walk of faith, it was Simon Peter. He goes from boldly walking on the water to sinking in fear, from promising he'll die for Jesus to denying that he even knows him. And that's just a few examples of Peter's unstable and shaky faith in his early days. In Greek, Peter is Petros, which means a piece of rock or a stone. Yeshua gave Simon Barjona a new name, declaring, you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Petros refers to this stone or small rock, while Petra refers to a large rock. And in the Aramaic language, which Jesus likely spoke in those days, the word for rock is kepha or Cephas, as you will read in your English Bible. In John chapter 1, verse 42, Yeshua says, You are Simon, son of Jonah, or John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. In other words, the rock or the stone. Peter was sometimes a solid, unmovable stone. Other times he was a rolling stone. Now, we're going to go on a journey with Peter this evening, and I believe you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. It's going to be increasingly relevant in these last days before the return of the Lord for people to go through deconstruction. For increasingly, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but it will also help us get an accurate view of the one true God and his ways, and the things which cannot be shaken will remain. The things that cannot be shaken will remain. What is deconstruction? It involves analyzing and dismantling things that we believe about God and his ways that need to be discarded because they are simply not true. It's asking the question, am I believing things that I was taught in sermons or Bible studies and have absorbed them and never really asked to what degree they are true and why they're true? Now, I'm not using this path of deconstruction to discourage you tonight, but to encourage you. It's a dangerous journey, but there are some positive elements to it. it, it doesn't, uh, deconstruction doesn't have to lead to deconversion. Lecrae is an American rapper, singer, songwriter, recording artist, and even a film producer. And Forbes magazine named him the biggest name in Christian music. I watched a YouTube video several days ago where Lecrae is expressing his frustration with what he calls the institutional, capitalistic, and politicized versions of Christianity. And he says that he went through a time of deconstructing those ideas, but Lecrae emphasized that deconstruction doesn't mean abandoning faith, but understanding what it truly means. 
But deconstruction can be dangerous. You see, even going through this process, and it can be a healthy process, the devil can take advantage of that vulnerable state of our minds, especially in the latter days when the devil knows his time is short and Yeshua is returning. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and follow, verse 1 and following. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away. The word falling away in Greek here is apostasis, from which we get the word apostasy. Sadly, there are some well-known authors, teachers, celebrity pastors that have gone public with their decision to walk away from Jesus. And some of them have decided that the teachings of the church are crafted to make us pawns and suppress our personhood. And sadly, many of them have become overtaken by a toxic cynicism and an arrogance, looking down on the rest of us from their ivory towers and thinking we are fools. How ironic that this morning in my quiet time, I came to Psalm 53, that was on my schedule. And verse one of Psalm 53 goes like this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, what are some positive parts of deconstruction of faith? Is it okay to ask these questions? You know, in the Alpha course, one of the things I appreciate is you're asked to ask questions, to, 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 to examine faith, use your, your head, your reason, as well as ask the Lord to give you revelation. That's good. There's some positive things to that. And the Apostle Paul certainly thought there are some positive things to asking questions about faith. In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 12, he's commending the Bereans. And when he had gone to them, he went into the synagogue of the Jews in that place, and he said concerning the Bereans, these were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. They believed through a process of examining what Paul had said, questioning. Many Christian leaders have openly confessed that they've had questions about their faith. Billy Graham, possibly the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul, that's arguable, but Billy Graham was a great evangelist. And he had serious doubts about the Bible's reliability. Eventually, he was able to have strong faith, and his faith was reconstructed. Philip Yancey, who's written many books and has been an influential voice in the evangelical world, he grew up in a very legalistic environment. And as a result, he began to question everything that he believed. His exploration of doubt has helped many Christians wrestle with their own questions. He's reconstructed his faith. John Wesley, going way back, Two or three hundred years struggled with spiritual doubts, and he began to doubt the idea of eternal security. He came to realize that faith without works is dead. You can confess with your mouth certain things, but if you don't live according to it, 
your faith is in vain. And he said, talked a lot about becoming holy, being, becoming like Yeshua, being sanctified, being separate from the world and separated unto God. And it's a process. Salvation is a process. Yes, it's an event, but it's an event that continues to process your entire life. I grew up in a pastor's home. My wife grew up in a pastor's home. And I can relate to this idea of deconstruction. When you're a pastor's kid, you wonder how much you've absorbed by osmosis. So I personally went on a journey to find myself and figure out whether I really believed myself or I was just brainwashed. It can come as quite a shock to realize that some of our beliefs might be false. It's healthy to ask the question whether or not our view of God and his ways are operating in the way we thought they should. Paul warns in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. I, I like the rest of the, that verse and the rest of it from the message version, which Eugene Peterson, the pastor and contemplative man, wrote from 2 Timothy 4, 3 and following. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up spiritual fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. <laughs> so 1971 and 72, I went on a long journey to Europe and North Africa to find myself. And later I'll tell you about an encounter I had which changed my life. I went from deconstruction to reconstruction. And after that event, I decided I'm going to serve the Lord full time, but I got to get myself prepared. I could have gone to Bible school, could have gone to the same Bible school where my dad went to school. I'd have said, no way, I'm not going that way. I want to hear the other side as well. So I went to the University of Toronto and I took some interesting courses that would challenge my faith. I remember taking one course called Anarchy. Can you imagine a whole semester? on anarchy. And as you know, many professors in universities are on the left-leaning side of things, many agnostics and some atheists, and that's increasingly so today. But I can tell you this, that by testing my faith when it's challenged with a sincere desire to seek truth and seek God in the process, our faith can be strengthened through a process of deconstruction. Long story short, my journey from deconstruction to some of, from some of the belief system that I inherited from my world of church, I ended up becoming a Bible-believing follower of Jesus. I am thoroughly convinced that the scriptures are true. They are the final authority, and I believe the Bible is the place to discover who is the one true God and how to live a God-fearing life full of faith, and a fruitful life on earth and eventually in heaven. Now for the rest of my message, I want us to look at various ways in which Peter's faith needed to be de deconstructed and eventually led to his faith being stronger than ever. It's the gospels where we see much of his deconstruction, but it's in the book of Acts and his two letters, the epistles of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, where we see the reconstruction of Peter's faith. And so we're going to go back and forth from those two different 
major periods in his life. Let's look now at Peter's deconstruction from the Gospels prior to the resurrection and Pentecost. We're going to highlight certain things about his deconstruction process. And here we go. Number one, we're going to look at Peter's calling by Yeshua to be a fisherman for men, a fisherman for men. Mark 1.17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Peter was one of those. He immediately left his nets, his whole life, his occupation, immediately followed Jesus. Isn't that amazing faith? Wow. And Jesus gave Peter his job description, fish for people, spread out your net of the gospel, invite people to jump into that net and be drawn out of the dark waters of this world and into the light. But later, Peter will forget, almost immediately, <laughs> what his job description was and how he had been called uniquely by God, by Jesus. In John chapter 21, verse 3, we read, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Immediately follows Jesus to be a fisher of men. Immediately gets into the boat and fishes for fish. Wow. Peter's decision to go fishing is often interpreted in a number of ways. Some say, well, it was his need to return to familiarity or from a moment of aimlessness or doubt. And I think it's the latter. I think he had some doubts, even though he had seen the risen Lord or seen an empty tomb. So that's Peter's deconstruction about Jesus' mission to the world, to make people followers of Jesus, to be fishers of men. Did Peter ever get reconstructed in that area of his faith? He certainly, certainly did. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches to the Jewish people who, had, who were in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Lord of Pentecost, and he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And Peter threw out his net into the crowd, and 3,000 fish jumped in and were rescued that day. Wow. How about Peter's walk on the water? Peter asked Jesus to call him to walk to him. And Peter takes a radical leap of faith and for a moment walks on the water until he takes his eyes off Yeshua and he looks at the waves. Peter's faith was shaken that day. What, what, was Peter's, what would Peter tell us about the importance of keeping our eyes on Yeshua? Well, this is what he wrote in 2 Peter, his own letter, verse, chapter 1 and verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He didn't have any peace that day. He looked at the waves and he was afraid. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus the Lord. When we know who Jesus is and we look to him... Peace reigns in our heart. We can be confident when we step out in faith. He will multiply peace to us. We read this in the first few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 
Sorry, I, I began to read that part. We're going to move on to the last part of that verse. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge, the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We can do great things and our faith can be strong. Like Peter's faith was for a moment when he stepped out of that boat and walked on the water by the divine power that Jesus gives us. If we try to step out in faith, shall we say, through presumption that God has really called us to do something, we'll fall flat on our faces. But if we will look to Jesus and go when he tells us to go and do what he tells us to do, his divine power will enable us to fulfill his will and our faith will be strong. Third thing we're going to look at, Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 15, Yeshua said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus had not declared openly at this point that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus was doing Messiah things. He was doing God-like things, but he was not announcing his Messiahship. But Peter, by divine revelation from the Father, was convinced that Jesus was not just a prophet or a teacher and a good man and a wonder worker, but he was deity. And it's at this point that Jesus calls Peter the rock because his declaration that Jesus is the Messiah and his son of the living God that declaration was rock solid, and Jesus is the rock upon which our foundation of true faith stands. Was Peter always convinced? We have another example of the deconstruction of his faith. At the Last Supper, Yeshua prophesied that Peter will deny him three times. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Yeshua said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. The same night. <laughs> Fearful and uncertain about his faith in Yeshua, after Yeshua is arrested and now he's brought to the high priest and he's being interrogated and Peter follows him and he's in the courtyard there and he sees this young servant girl and she recognizes him as one who had followed, was following Yeshua. He was intimidated by this simple servant girl. And he said, I know not the man. Imagine Yeshua shaking his head like, buddy, you have no idea. You think you've got strong faith. I'm going to test your faith, and you're going to see that your faith is very shakable. Thankfully, Peter's temporary deconstruction would be solidly reconstructed later. In fact, there may be no other apostle who is more bold following the resurrection and Pentecost in proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and deity in the flesh. Peter declares on the day of Pentecost, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Lord, Adonai, personal name of God. 
Yeshua's deity in Peter's mind. Second Peter, one of his letters, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let him be glory, the glory both now and forever. Sounds like his faith was, is restored. Now I bring you to Peter's misunderstanding about worship. Sorry, we'll get to worship. About suffering. The suffering of Yeshua and our own suffering. Peter was convinced that the Messiah, promised by the prophets of old, would be a conqueror. Uh, he would come and deliver Israel from their Roman oppressors. Surely the Messiah would not have to suffer and certainly not die. And so we read this in Matthew 16, 21 and following. From that time, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Is it possible that much of what we believe, some of what we believe at least, are the thoughts and minds of men? more than the minds of God. Peter goes from boldly declaring Yeshua as the Messiah to being rebuked as an agent of Satan in the span of a few verses. But this reveals the limited box that Peter had put God in. He expected a political Messiah focused on Israel's earthly liberation and restoration. And so convinced that Yeshua had come to establish a political empire right there and then, that when Yeshua was being arrested, John 18, 10 reads, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Yeshua, I'm gonna help you conquer this place. I've got my sword. We're gonna make it happen. Wow. Rather than you and I conquering this world through political power, we are to be servant leaders who are willing to pay a price for truth and lay down our lives for the people we love and whom we desire to join us in the kingdom and live forever with them in heaven. But it's gonna mean suffering as we lay down our lives for other people. It means giving up a lot of things. Was Peter able to reconstruct his faith in this matter, this matter of Yeshua's suffering and our suffering and that it's part of God's purposes on the earth. Listen to this in Acts chapter 5, verse 41 to 42, Peter, it says here, so they departed from the presence of the council, that is the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Yeshua as the Messiah. That was Peter, one of those disciples who was fearless and willing to suffer because he knew suffering is part of walking with Yeshua. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is, which is to try you, 
as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I think Peter had a whole new view of God and the purpose of suffering. Reconstruction. Now we come to the transfiguration of Yeshua and Peter's misunderstanding about worship. Matthew 17, one to four. Now, after six days, Yeshua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If, if you wish, let us, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter, like many of us, have a misunderstanding about what God considers true worship. Yes, it includes spending lots of time in God's presence in corporate worship. And when Peter saw who Yeshua really was, the light of God and the final authority, one greater than Moses and Elijah, he wanted to stay on that mountain and build some tabernacles and stay 24-7 in Yeshua's presence. But we forget that one of the main Hebrew words for worship is avodah, which means work. Work. Can work be worship? We know that Yeshua did not mean for Peter, James, and John to stay on that mountain of worship forever. There was work to do. They needed to go back down the mountain into the valley where people are suffering in desperate need, bring them the good news and help them in practical ways, find the strength to face their suffering through the power of Yeshua. And after Peter reconstructed his faith, he came to see that this kind of hard and agonizing work among lost people, hurting people, is part and parcel of worship. And he will later write, after having a reconstruction of his view of God and worship, these words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, minister or serve with it. With, to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. How is God glorified? He just gets finished telling us, use our gifts in service to others. That is worship. Yes, it's corporate worship like we've done this evening and will continue to do, but it is also leaving this building, coming down from this mountain and going into the valley where people desperately need the good news. Can anybody just say, I agree or no, no, I don't. I've examined the scriptures and Pastor Wayne, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Finally, I'm going to leave you with this. Practical ways to reconstruct our faith based on what Peter learned in his journey of faith. Peter gives us so much wisdom. Number one, get into the word. Number one, get into the word. Whereas Peter once rebuked Yeshua's words, he now embraces scripture as God's reliable, authoritative revelation. Listen to this. On the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching and he quotes the prophet Joel and Psalm 16, declaring, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David. 
And in Acts chapter 1, 16, it's Peter who wrote, sorry, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter writes, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. To reconstruct our faith, we too must anchor ourselves in the scriptures. They are God-breathed words. If you want to know who God really is, you need to study his word, which reveals his true nature. The Bible withstands the winds of shifting cultural values. Take confidence in its trustworthiness, its guidance, even parts of scripture that Peter found difficult to understand. He decided he would submit himself to them and acknowledge their authority. How do I know that? He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. <laughs> you know that Peter and Paul had a, some differences at various points. But when his faith was reconstructed and when he had the revelation of what is God's word, can I rely on the scriptures? Can I rely on Paul who seemingly has become a mouthpiece of God? He said, yes, I'm gonna submit Paul's words are also scripture. You ever struggle with some of the things Paul says? Even Peter didn't understand everything. But you know what? If you understand everything and accept those things that you understand, there's no such thing as faith. <laughs> if we understand everything about God, then maybe he's not really God. He's too small a God. Some of you struggle with the scriptures. But the more you will spend time in the scriptures, the more the scriptures will build you up and you will discover there's power in those words. You can read your novels. You can read your textbooks. You can read your reference books. You can read your encyclopedias and dictionaries. And they give great wisdom and knowledge, but the scriptures, unlike any of those things, come alive when we are seeking God and desiring to know him personally. Number two, depend on the spirit. After being filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter received an incredible gift of confidence and boldness. Now we might be tempted to try to fix our shaky faith through self-effort, but genuine transformation requires surrender to the Holy Spirit. We have an example of how the Holy Spirit was one who convinced Peter that he had a wrong view about Gentiles. Pastor Vaco referred to this earlier, how Peter went to the household of Cornelius. You know that Peter, he, he thought God played favorites. He, he thought the only race that really can make it into the kingdom, or at least ones who, who are the, the people God really loves, are the Jews, and Jews only. But he went through a deconstruction of his assumptions, his presumptions. And when the Holy Spirit fell, when the Holy Spirit fell on the household of Cornelius, and they spoke in tongues and they were marvelously saved and transformed, Peter suddenly 
got a reconstruction of his faith and realized that God also loves the world, the world, and not just one race. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Be in community, that's number three. So I've said, be in the word, depend upon the spirit. Number three, be in community. I've discovered that people who are in the process of deconstructing their faith, and often it's the case that they withdraw from the rest of the body of believers. That's a dangerous thing to deal with your doubts alone. You become a sitting duck to the devil. And it's Peter who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter's saying when the devil comes to try to deceive you and rob you of your faith, Make sure you're in connection with your brotherhood, fellow believers, knowing that they're going through stuff too, but look at their lives and see how they're making it through. They have not deconverted. Yes, everybody goes through deconstruction, but you don't have to deconvert. The enemy would love you to deconvert. Peter says, in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him, that is the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Together, we withstand the winds that would topple us if we remain alone. And I remind you of Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, which says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I'm not saying that just coming to worship services will be enough. When you're struggling with your faith, you need to find mature believers, including elders and pastors and others, who can be mentors to help you through this agonizing season of deconstruction. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Be in connection with the Bible-believing community, people who will give you good counsel. Most people have gone through this process and come out the other side. You need to hear from them. How many would agree with that? Number four, confess and repent. After denying Yeshua, Peter, it says in Luke 22, verse 62, went out and wept bitterly. Now, Judas wept bitterly after he not only denied Jesus, but actually betrayed Jesus to the authorities and went and committed suicide. But in Peter's case, he wept tears of remorse and desire for forgiveness. In the same way, we start reconstructing faith by confessing how we have fallen short in our faith. And as we repent, that is, turn from unbelief and ask for his forgiveness, we come into a deeper fellowship with him. And we know him and become more confident in our faith. James 4, 8 says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And what is the result if we do that? The first part of that same verse says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But how do you draw near to God? He says, get your act together. Confess that you are weak in faith. Confess your sin. And then when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Can anybody say maybe amen on that one? Number five, remember the resurrection. Peter's face was Faith was utterly transformed when he encountered the risen Messiah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 to 17, concerning the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection is to our salvific faith, faith that leads to salvation. This is what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. <laughs> is the resurrection important to our faith? Wow. Now, are there solid reasons to believe that the resurrection of Yeshua really happened? Well, there are empirical arguments. The empty tomb, all four gospels report of people who saw that the tomb was empty. Then we have the post-resurrection appearances to more than 500 people. And some of those people were still alive when Paul wrote about that. If they didn't really see the risen Lord, some of them would have said, you know, I guess I was just hallucinating. Could all 500 have been hallucinating? We have no record of anybody denying having seen the risen Lord. That should be pretty good evidence. Then there's logical arguments. The transformation of the disciples who were once feeling like giving up on Yeshua, abandoning him at his death, his crucifixion. But when he rose from the dead... They came alive in their spirits and they became great apostles, sent ones who went all over the world, including Thomas, by the way, who went to India. And almost every Indian I ever meet who's a Christian is either his first name or his last name is Thomas. <laughs> he had such an impact. And who is Thomas? Doubting Thomas. <laughs> but when he had seen the risen Lord, he believed with his whole heart and was willing to be a martyr for the Messiah. Many of the apostles were martyred, including Peter, by the way. Tradition says that he was crucified and wanted to be crucified upside down. <laughs> he wanted it to be the greatest suffering possible for the sake of the Messiah who died for him. I'm not sure that's the way we ought to go, but this is what tradition says. I invite every one of us who are struggling in our faith to walk in ways that are consistent with a believer. I'm going to say something that might sound a little controversial. Some of you, have you ever heard of Ben Shapiro? A Jewish Orthodox guy, not a follower of Yeshua, but constantly having Christians on his program and them preaching the gospel so wonderfully. And he's, uh, he was interviewing just recently, I watched the YouTube video, Vadi Bakum, 
a black intellectual and preacher and teacher. And uh, Shapiro said to Bakum, he said, in Judaism, obedience is first and then faith follows. Interesting. Bakum did not argue with that point. And I think there's some truth to that. Peter seems to say that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. Listen to this. For this reason, make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you do things in obedience to the Lord, even if you don't understand them, and you wish he hadn't told you to do that, but it's in the Bible, and you just obey, even without full understanding, you will grow in your knowledge of God. But you need to obey first to see your faith grow. Finally, I'm going to wrap up our time together. Some key lessons. I won't hit all the points, but just sum up so you can remember some of these things. God uses imperfect and ordinary people, and doubts do not disqualify us. Maturing in faith rarely happens in a straight line. There are ups and downs. Relying on the Holy Spirit's power enables us to do what is humanly impossible. Studying the scriptures reorients us to God's authoritative truths. Community reinforces faith. We need each other. And seasons of deconstruction can lay solid foundations for deeper trust and obedience. But I want to remind you of maybe the most important key that I gave you this evening is remember the resurrection. The resurrection of Yeshua is the bedrock that we anchor our lives upon. We encounter, encountering the risen Messiah radically changes us. I told you about my wandering around Europe and North Africa back in the early 1970s, a hippie backpacker, trying to find myself in a process of deconstructing my faith as a preacher's kid with a desire to ultimately end up with a reconstructed faith. God was gracious to me, and he fulfilled my desire. I came to an international church in a town called Torremolinos on the southern coast of Spain. I went to an international church, just a small church, and I sat in the back pew in that service, and I hadn't been in church in months. And as I entered into worship, I didn't hear an audible voice, and I didn't see a vision but the reality of the risen Messiah sitting next to me was just as amazing as any physical thing I could have experienced. You know, Paul had that experience on the road to Damascus trying to deconvert Messianic believers. But he had an encounter with the risen Messiah and it changed everything. It turned Saul the persecutor into one of the greatest, if not the greatest apostle in New Testament times. Some of you need a fresh or a first encounter with the risen Messiah. How important is it that you know the risen Messiah? 
Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now let me just tell you, this is a heretical teaching that we hear time and again in so-called evangelical churches who think they are preaching the gospel, who say, just believe and you will be saved. And the impression we get when people say that is that we believe, we, we assent to certain truths about Jesus and his work on the cross. But we don't live that way. We say, oh, okay, I, I've said, I said the sinner's prayer and I, and I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the only Savior of the world. He died for my sins and all of that. And we feel so secure in that that we can just live like we want to live. And our faith is not faithfulness. You know, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, says, and the righteous shall live by faith. Well, you open up just about any commentator, commentary on that verse, and they will tell you it's not clear whether that should be translated and the righteous will live by faith and live, or the righteous will live by faithfulness and shall live. That word emunah, it's not clear. Sometimes it means faithfulness and sometimes it means faith. I say, faith with faithfulness in Yeshua, the risen Lord, is saving faith. But faith without faithfulness, without obeying and living according to your faith, it's all in vain. Faith without works is dead, James tells us. Paul agrees with that. Some of us have got a mental assent concerning who the Messiah and the Savior and the Lord is, but you're not living according to your belief system. It's just theory for you. This is the time. I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging you tonight. Get your faith deeper than that because when the shaking comes, when other arguments come and you see atheists and agnostics and professors and all kinds of very smart people on the internet and on YouTube and other platforms arguing against our faith, you will not stand. But if you determine that real faith is obeying Yeshua, Yeshua will honor your obedience with a powerful revelation of himself in you that you will say, I know that I know that I know that God is alive and well and Yeshua is my only Savior. The message I preach to you this evening, I've entitled, From Rubble to Rock. From Rubble to Rock. Some of you you need to turn your rubble into a rock of faith, like Peter did. If there's anyone in this room that has heard this word tonight and you know 
that your faith is not strong enough to stand the test of time and the shaking that's coming. And you want tonight to have rock-like faith. With every eye closed, every head bowed, not looking around. I know that's a, people say that all the time, but it, I think it's important that we not have to be looking around and feeling peer pressure in any way. If you know you need a greater measure of faith and faithfulness to have genuine saving faith, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? I see several hands tonight. Not just several, more than several. God gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Those who admit, confess, my faith is weak. Forgive me for my unfaithfulness. And the Lord will answer that prayer and he will manifest himself in powerful ways in your life. And you will stand firm on the rock. Let's stand together. And almost all the time when I preach, I, I'm just so convinced of this. And it's been my experience that we need to have a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to, to keep on keeping on. I sometimes like people to put out their hand like that, like a cup, and say, Lord, fill my cup with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a fresh one tonight. That I won't try to live for you in my own power, because I'm weak in the flesh, and the devil's after me. But give me your Spirit so that I have supernatural power to faithfully live for you according to my faith. Can you ask the Holy Spirit to do that? Yeshua said he's not gonna, the Heavenly Father doesn't wanna give us fake stuff. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. If we ask, he says, if we ask. Lord, fill us afresh. Peter said, sorry, Paul said in Ephesians 5, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Find your joy, not in a drink, but in Yeshua, drinking of his spirit. Fill us afresh. Baptize some of us in the Holy Spirit tonight, I pray. I'm inviting our prayer team to come to the front. You know, Yeshua talks about agreeing in prayer and you might need some encouragement in your prayer whatever God would have you desire tonight and pray about. So team, come please and come to one of our uh, faithful and uh, prayer warriors who have integrity, who can keep confidences and share what you need and they'll pray with you.